Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is June the 3rd, 2020. This is a Wednesday. It's interview day. I have today Xavier Hawk. He's an amazing guy. He really is. I've had him on before, but he hadn't been around here in a while. You're going to really enjoy talking to him today. We're going to be talking about some really cool stuff. We're going to talk about his company that's built on uh, cryptocurrency concepts that is designed to affect change through making purchasing decisions, among other things. We're going to talk about strategic relocation. He called it bugging out to his family farm with his family to get the hell away from all this COVID stuff, but that's really strategic relocation. That's what tomorrow's show is going to be a lot about, with it being a little bit different than the way we're going to look at it today. It's simply tomorrow's show is going to be about getting the hell out of the cities, just like I promised you it would be. So we are going to have a... Uh, Really great show talking with Xavier today. Uh, before we do, let's go ahead and take care of our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is Ready-Made Resources. They're the company that says what they do and does what they say. It's all right there in their name, ReadyMadeResources.com. All the resources you need for your prepping, you can find it all at their website at ReadyMadeResources.com. Next up today, KnifeKits.com. Hey, you know... Making a knife does so much. First of all, you take something that's relatively inexpensive to do and you make something that can become kind of a family heirloom. I know if I had a knife that wasn't just my grandfather's knife, but a knife that my grandfather made, even if it was worth, you know, on the open market as what it is, 30 bucks, to me it would be priceless. Imagine doing some of that with your kids and having them hand that knife down to maybe your grandkids or your great-grandkids someday and say, great-granddad made this knife with me. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. Then you can do all kinds of skill set development with knife making as well. The best place I know to start on that quest is knifekits.com where they make it easy. If you can sand, right, if you can sand and glue and learn to sharpen and learn to finish, you know, material, you can make a knife at knifekits.com. They make it that easy. Check them out today, again, <clears throat> at the website knifekits.com. With that, before I uh, bring our special guest on today, I want to start out with a quote of the day. This is by Thomas Watson. He said, follow the path of the unsafe, independent thinker. Expose your ideas to the danger of controversy. Speak your mind and fear less the label of crackpot than the stigma of conformity. I chose that quote today because it's kind of a overall theme this week with concepts like strategic relocation, with concepts like designing your backyard to be sustainable and to be self-sufficient and self-reliant, with implementing the solutions that actually fix the problems of the world, not for the world, but for you. And that may be selfish thinking, but it's not selfish in the way that the system has taught you to understand that word. All people who have made great changes in the world have been dramatically selfish individuals. Selfish is a good thing if it is done from the standpoint of first see to your needs. See to your needs and what you want first. Selfish in the best way possible. We think of selfish basically being envy, greed, and covetousness in action. In other words, I want what I want for me, so I'll take it from you. That's not selfish, that's being an asshole. You can't affect change outside of your immediate surroundings until first you put your own shit together. 
And that requires you to be an independent thinker willing to expose your ideas to the danger of controversy, speak your mind, and fear less the label of crackpot than the stigma of conformity. Because let me tell you what conformity gives you. The majority of people in this world have screwed up lives and they're miserable. That's what you get when you conform. You become part of the average. You become part of the normal. And the normal in, the, in our world today is mostly miserable. The only way to not be miserable is to not conform to that which causes misery. You will have to follow the path of the unsafe to do that and be an independent thinker in the words of Thomas Watson. With that, let me say, hey, Xavier, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Man, Jack, thanks for having me back. I'm, I'm really honored to be back after all of these years. I think it was like 2014 was the last one, or 13 maybe. It, it's probably somewhere around there. I remember um, we did something right after first the first Permaculture Voices, with it, which is all but ancient history at this point. So it, it might be that That's long right. ago. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, I, I got my uh, ass handed to me by life for a little bit there and, you know, back on the swing. You know, that's what life does. It hands us our ass from time to time. And I think the, the biggest determination of, of what we, whether we succeed or not is when, when, they, when life hands us our, our ass, do we strap it back on and keep going or do we, uh, we go show our, exactly. our, our lobbed off ass cheeks to somebody and cry about it? I mean, I know it sounds harsh, yep. but that's, that's the truth, man. People can sympathize with you, but they can't fix the problems you have. Only you can do that. We're, here to talk about that kind of mindset today in, in quite a few different ways. But That's right. si since you have been on the show since 2013, 2014, thereabouts, um, mm -hmm. why don't you tell people, people what the hell an Xavier Hawk is? Because they probably don't know. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background right. kind of coming up and, and, and how you ended up in the world that you're in. Great. I appreciate that. Um, in 2009, I bought a property up in North Carolina, and we turned it into an off-grid educational homestead, essentially. Uh, we had people living there at different different times, and we built it out. We had, like, a, uh, some of our videos are still online, actually, on YouTube. Um, but we were teaching permaculture, and we were teaching homestead. But more importantly, we were living it, right? And it was an effort to get out of the city back then and say, like, look, the way that things are going is just not the way that, you know, it doesn't seem right and or safe or just. So, you know, it's how do we best take care of ourselves in a changing world? And this was the thing that made the most sense, you know, getting back to nature. And before that, I had taken survival courses and all of this. And I've always had that mindset. Um, and so when we had the opportunity to, based on our investments and my choices and all of this, we were like, boom, let's do it. You know, and we uh, we had that life going for a while. And then in 20 and so I had people living there and we were trying to figure out how to trade hours for dollars and rent without going through the Federal Reserve System. So I was looking at alternative currencies and then Bitcoin came up at that time. And I looked at it. I looked at the tech underlying it and what it could do. And I was like, this is the thing. This is the thing that will help liberate humankind, let's say, from the, the banking cartels. And so I designed a currency called permacredits at that time. We had talked a lot about it then. It was ultimately like a governance system that would allow us to harvest our own transaction fees rather than being harvested by Visa and MasterCard. We would do it. We would collectively do it in a cooperative system and vote on how we would deploy those funds. So we could build communities, we could build farms, we could build schools, whatever the population membership wanted to do. And that got me a great deal of notoriety um, by some of the right people and a great deal of notoriety by some of the wrong people. And I tried to bring the system out into the public, um, ended up 
lecturing at Oxford, speaking at the World Economic Forum, doing business with huge government entities. And, you know, it, it really skyrocketed um, what was happening in my life at that time. And uh, so I've been building that since then. Uh, you know, we're about to launch in the next few months here uh, the system that we believe will, will really help bring some order and like rationale and, and, you know, common sense to the whole system as a whole. Got you, got you. So let's start off with one of the things you wanted to talk about was bugging out. So uh, you basically uh, saw all this crap coming with the, the COVID lockdowns, and 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 you took off Straight to, the up. Fa- to the family farm, right? And that might not be that's right. That family farm may not be what people think of when they hear the term family farm in America. We're not talking about Nebraska. So tell people what that was like, and uh, and where you went, and. and and, and where it is, yeah. where you are, are you there still so, or what? Right. So in November, I started seeing the, the CCP virus or the Wuhan virus or, you know, COVID, whatever you call it now. And I was watching it and I was saying, this is the thing. This like every fiber of my being was like, oh, this is going to become a thing. Um, this is going to become a big deal. And I was not afraid of the virus because even then I was looking at what the effects were and what was happening at the raw data, right? You know, not CNN, not Fox, not any, any, I was not proxying my decision making to anybody. I was looking at the concrete data right in front of us. And I was like, so this isn't very deadly. Uh, it's deadly to a certain small segment of the population, but the way that it was hyped, the way that it was, uh, fear was promulgated and what was happening in Italy and China, it was like people seeing bodies being burned and all of this stuff like really affected everybody and scared the, the, the poop out of them. And they all went and bought toilet paper. Um, so, in no, you know, and so in November I was like, okay, this is a real thing. I got all my gear together, all of my essentials together. Um, we maintained a cachet up there obviously in, in, in our farm and, um, was basically, I told my wife, I was like, yeah, you better be ready within, you know, at, at a drop of a hat, you know, let's say, um, that we're going to go up there. And so I waited, I really, really waited and hoped and, and prayed. And I was like, waiting till the last minute until I knew it was like, okay, they're going to lock down the country. Right. And literally we got up there the day before they did that. Um, and it was, it was like a breath of fresh air, like literally like the water's coming out of the ground. There's crystals in the water, you know, all of that beauty and liveliness of the planet that we were back in touch with instead of being in the suburbs. Right. And it just re-enlivened us. And literally like life did not change for us when we were up there. I mean, we were in a, in a small county in Western North Carolina, in Western North Carolina and, um, you know, population of 2000 in the, the local town, uh, very small. In fact, they didn't get a case until last, like two weeks ago. They got one case, right? So it's up in the mountains. It's very rural. Everybody's very self-sufficient. Everybody's very, uh, faithful. They, like they all go to church. It's a very conservative area. Um, and I love that because everybody's genuinely good. And they're, they're, they're self-sufficient to the degree that they've been doing that and their families have been doing that for generations. So we got back to the farm and, you know, we've got, got the gardens back up right away. The water comes straight out of the ground without a pump or anything. We've got springs. So it was really like, you know, coming back to Eden in a way, you know, it was like almost a, a respite from all of the madness that was going on. And frankly, if we didn't turn on uh, our phones or look at the feeds or anything like that, we would not have noticed anything. Like nothing would have changed. <laughs> it is, I mean, it's, it's 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 amazing. Isn't that ironic? I think that during this thing, which has been probably the most disruptive thing in America, yeah, in the lives of 
almost any living American. There are a few people still around that maybe were very young children during, let's say, the Great Depression. Right. Right. Or right. if there's anybody around from the Spanish flu, they would have been like one. Right. So this right. is the, right. the most disruptive thing to happen in the lives of living Americans in, in what we, for all intents and purposes, living history. And you literally didn't give two shits. And, and personally, Correct. we were talking about this before we got on the air today. And if I didn't do what I do, if I did some other thing from home, but I had set my life up the exact same way, it, it would have had no effect on me. The effect that it had on me was self-induced. Like, I have to go in and wade into this crap and, and understand what's going on because I have a responsibility to my audience. Like, my day-to-day -day life mm -hmm. is literally the same. And you kind of right. way out. I'm kind of, like, just out. And that means you really, if it was strategic relocations about is setting up at the right place for you, but in a way that you're least affected. Correct. And, and my thinking around preparedness and survival is like, what is the worst case scenario? Like game theory, like, what is the worst thing that could possibly happen? The sun pops, we lose electricity, you know, the, uh, a huge fireball, like, what all, like whatever the worst thing is, if I can at least be emotionally prepared for that, and then at least take some steps towards being um, capable of responding to that in a responsible and, and intelligent way, then like all the other bases are covered, right? So if I planned, which I did for total, you know, environmental collapse and all of this, you know, it's like, well, this is nothing compared to that. You know what I'm saying? We've still got running water. We still have power. We have Wi-Fi. We have connectivity. We can contact our family with video. You know, it's like, this, the, the impact that this is having emotionally and economically is going to far, far outweigh any viral uh, impact that it might have. Gotcha. And, and, you know, how was your family about this when you said we're going? Like, was there any resistance or what have you? You know, what was your reasoning at that time? How did you deal with any, if you had any conflict with family of, hey, we're going now? So it, it, I'll, I'll tell two different stories. One was I have a network down here of friends and social group and, and peers that we work together and, and own businesses together. And they're very much like vanilla folk, you know, that, that don't concern hmm. themselves with the, the darkness in the world, let's say. Right. And um, they're very positive, loving, uplifting people. And I, and I love them to death. And so I was like, listen, this is my plan. You know, and this was in November, mind you, when it wasn't even a thing yet. This is my plan. If you like we have a location, I'm wanting to open it up to you. I would feel bad as a human if I did not tell the loving people that are in my close, you know, relations, like, here's a way out if you need it. Right. But here's the here's the here's the the but you need to bring this. You need to bring this six months of this, this, that and the other thing. And that was a little intense for them. And they're like, yeah, that seems a little overblown and this and that. And I'm like, well, at least I told you, you know what I mean? And when we disappear, like you're not coming with because you either go when we go or you don't come because if it is a viral epidemic, then you have to be quarantined. So like that would just be it would be it would be rude and it would be um uh, egregiously wrong to impose upon us in that way. And I made this clear in the messages, like it would be egregiously wrong to impose upon us this way. If I'm warning you and giving you the tools now and you're not choosing to do it, you know what I'm saying? Like don't show up two weeks into the pandemic, hoping to have a place, you know, yeah. cause who knows what could have happened. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so I did that and everybody was cool and we loved each other and everything's fine. And you know, they were laughing and joking about it. And then when it happened, they're like, dude, what do we do? Like, what's going on? You've been watching this. And so I was in a position to help them and, you know, still like 
kind of calm them down. And, you know, because at that point I realized like, yeah, the virus is not going to be a big deal at all. It's going to just be effectively like the humans who take it out of proportion. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of calm, calming people. And then with personal family, like, you know, uh, my wife was like this, you've always been this way. What makes this time different? You know, like you're always talking about collapse and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, because I've been, I've known that this was coming right. Yeah. Even far back years ago. And it's like, so, you know, there's a little bit of that chicken little, the sky is falling, but it's really just like rational thinking and preparedness, right? Like as a man, I want to game what's, what potential threats there are and mitigate those and take care of my family. So I, I explained it that way. And she said, okay, let's frame it in like we're going to spend our summer there for the, for the end of the school year and this and that. Yeah, and yeah. so we came to a good, good, yeah, you know, we came to a good place with that. And then afterwards she was like, thank God, <laughs> you know, thank you so much. So, well, I mean, I look at it a couple different ways. Well, let's say you did it. Well, you didn't sell everything you owned and, and leave with a, a hobo stick on your back, right? So let's say you, oh, if, no. if you're set up to, cause you have to, if you're going to bug up, you have to be set up to go. Right? right. So you are set up. Right. You, know, you don't have to do anything except implement. Right. So let's say you went and then when this thing really started to pick up here, calmer heads prevailed. And, and, and the government's response would have been, hey, wash your hands, stay the hell away from people and go on with your life. Well, you could have just right. went back. Right. But if you don't yeah. go in the window that you have to go, you might just get stuck. So well, that's the it's trick, the right? low. You need it's to know the, where the line is going to start. Yeah. yeah. So the whole point with bugging it's out a, to me has always been make bugging out low risk or live in a right. place that is already effectively like bugging out. Like here, I still kind of look at trying to find a place, but I don't know that. I mean, it would take if this didn't make me leave. Right. And people are like, now, aren't mm -hmm. the you know, they're talking about the rioters going outside of the city or whatever. I'm like, let me tell you something okay. about Fort Worth. <laughs> If you go yeah. five miles out, I mean, I think in Dallas, if you go 10 miles outside of Dallas, you're playing uh, which door will get me killed roulette when you go through any door. In Fort Worth, you're probably playing that game downtown. You come here, yeah. you're, there's not going to be riots at Nine Mile Farm. I promise you that. It's not happening. Yeah. So if riots and a global pandemic didn't push me out the door, I don't know what would. But I still, you know, like the place we used to have in Arkansas, it would be so great to have a place like that. But I think what people need mm -hmm. is a place that's going to be largely ineffective, and you need a place that's defensible. And, and I'm not talking James Wesley Rawls into the world defensible, but I'm just saying if you want to, if you want to loot my house, first you got to get over a fence with a bunch of barbed wire on top, but then you got to get through a great big open area where you can be seen. <laughs> then you right. gotta not get bit by three very angry dogs. By the, right? by the dogs, right. <laughs> then you not, you, get, exactly. you know, need to not get shot by the, the, the night vision equipped AR-15 that was tracking you before you came over the fence and got bit. So, right. that whole thing is a mitigation strategy. I, that's one of those things you hope to never use. But the fact that, yep. see people look at that and they go, well Jack's a survivalist. No, Jack lives in North Texas. Where I live in North Texas, 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 that is a typical thing. My neighbor's dogs will kill you dead. Before, like, right. you, you pick, they have a freaking, right. what do you call it, Mastiff rescue over there. There's literally a pack of Mastiffs. His fence those looks are, a lot easier. To, yeah. His fence has a, a flat top instead of gar barbed wire. I figure they'll go over his fence first. It's easier to get over. And that's the end of that. I yeah. mean, so like the, the, the general way, see, I picked here for as much as how I could live. 
is for how the people around me choose to live. I didn't have to come here and say, gee, I yeah. wish this place was more like X, and then try to be the outsider trying to change it. I looked for a place that yeah. was generally the way I wanted to be and said, I think yeah. I'll go there. And I think that's like a big yep. strategy in relocation is don't try to go somewhere and make something. Find some place that's close to what you want and then go make your piece of it the way you want it. Yep, that's right. And yeah, that's what we did when we, when we chose that property. It was like, where can we be that, you know, there's plenty of natural resources. People have uh, a, a general state of sophistication where they understand how to live in, in, in partnership with the earth and, you know, are personally responsible and self-reliant, you know, because that creates a strong community, a greater survivability, let's say. And even if times don't get tough, they're still good people because you can get, you know, fresh vegetables and other kinds of really amazing things that you wouldn't find at like a Whole Foods or Trader Joe's. And people don't fight over resources when resources aren't scarce. I mean, we mentioned permaculture voices earlier. I don't think you came to the, the third one, but I spoke at that one. And one of the things that I pointed out is the reason to practice permaculture and permaculture thinking in life and create abundance is it ends wars before they start. And I pointed yeah. out there's been times in history where men have taken swords and spears and spilled the guts of other men in actual warfare over the control of salt and pepper. Totally. Right? And then and I, the I asked when I said that, has, right? And I said, now, in modern history, has anybody seen anybody kill anybody over salt? And everybody looked like it was a crazy question and realized, well, no, we have. So that made the, the, the horror of somebody ever doing it more real. And I said, why yep. not? And I, you got a pretty quick group consensus because you can get all the salt you want anywhere you want for almost no money. So if you yep. want to end conflict, end as much as you can. And poverty. And poverty. And and, and, and and I would yeah. say it's really not poverty. Like our quote of the day for tomorrow, I'll give a little heads up, is, is from uh, Amber, Ralph Waldo Emerson, and it's that people basically don't want gold for the sake of gold. They want right. gold for what it buys. They want it for the independence and the security and the comfort that it buys. So it's not really we, – when we think of poverty, we think way too much in financial poverty – and that's not the equation Correct. you're talking about solving with strategic lo nope. relocation. It, it, hey, I mean, I'm all for money. Uh, one of my old mentors used to say life is like a shit sandwich. The more bread you have, the less shit you have to eat. I completely agree with that. Okay, But in the end, real wealth is in being able to have what you want. Because if all you have is money, and people should be in touch with this right now because of supply line issues. If all you have is yep. money and you think that will get you your supplies, you're only as secure and as the supply line you're procuring from. So as soon Correct. as that person has a problem, you have a problem. And then if it's a mass supply line, everybody's got a problem at the same time. If you have multiple small supply lines through highly effective local economies and yes. one has a problem, it's pretty easy to say, hey, guys, over there, hey, we're kind of in some shit right now. Can you all help yeah. us out? And instead of everybody not having at the same time and people go crazy and next thing you know, everybody's building a toilet paper for it. Because I assume that's what these people yeah. did, like – how many rolls? How much ass wiping do you need to do? <laughs> Some of these people, you're like, my God, I guess you're good till 2030. You know, my wife, right. I had to give her props. My wife has always been, you know, I taught her cap coffee canning by two instead of one, mm -hmm. and she took that with toilet paper. We have a closet upstairs. I swear to God, if the house mm -hmm. catches on fire, it will burn until the end of June, <laughs> and it's been barely <laughs> depleted because she's always just one yep. big extra roll of toilet paper. So when this all happened. You know, my son's like, damn, we can't even talk about it. Like, here's a 16-pack. Go home. This should keep you guys yeah. good for a freaking <laughs> month, right? Like, 
you know, yeah, teach yeah, your kids yeah. to not completely bury their hand in toilet paper when they wipe their butt, and you should be okay yeah. for a month at least here. And But, yeah, that's what everybody went out and did, and I think it's because we saw something happen that doesn't, sell, that doesn't happen very often in this country. People felt truly helpless, and it was yep. something they could do. Didn't matter that yep. it didn't make any sense. It was something they yep. could do that gave them a sense of control. And as soon as that happens, whatever that action is, you see mass hysteria kick and everybody does it. All of a sudden, where there was no reason for there ever to be a shortage, there became yep. a shortage. Well, that's how scary this was. It touched the very survival of the species, right? Because it's like if toilet paper is going, I can't believe we're, we're really going on about it, but it's like if toilet paper is going, <laughs> that means if you run out, then you're like an animal, right? Yeah. yeah. And the the deep-seated fear is everybody reverting back to animalistic nature and like they don't want to. So this is like a hedge against that, right? And I think that, you know, the response that we've seen, I think it's been – across the board crazy. I mean, there's been a lot of reasonable, like, hey, why don't you all just chill out and stay away from each other for a couple weeks, you know? And everybody did that, you know? And then some of the states, they got really intense about it. And, like, you can't go to your house in northern, what was it, Minnesota or Michigan? Yeah. Um, that, that woman, Whitmere, like... Yeah, Meem I, we call, I call her Meemaw. Meem Governor Meemaw. Me yeah. So <laughs> Meemaw says you can't leave your house to go to your safe house. Or, you know, and they say yeah. you can't go to the beaches. And it's like all of these reasonable things that keep people feeling like functional human beings they're shutting it down and then they release prisoners and you got to wonder like what is going on that they would do that right and then you see the riots and it's like oh that makes sense now yeah yeah i did a, a video you you actually commented I, i put it on facebook last night you said i remember that mm -hmm. it was from 2013 that's right and it was on uh, a guy named main prepper it was a pretty big deal on youtube at the time i don't know what he's up to now I did a thing about preppers dying in a, in a world uh, without rule of law scenario. And people went yep. crazy about it. I'm like, man, you guys don't understand the actual problem. Now, we were talking about this occurring due to financial collapse, which may be the next thing anyway here. But Seriously, the, the point that I made was excessive rule of law will be your actually pro your actual problem. These prepper It's novels. Right, yeah. These prepper novels where all the government just leaves and goes off to Australia or something. That's not happening. That's not happening. <laughs> no. I think my, my, they're my, gonna, they're my, gonna become more draconian. Yeah, my, my, I think the number one quote out of that video that people took away from it back when I did it was you don't build a police state and then not oh, use okay. it. Right? So like, yep, so, exactly. So I, I, I came out with a video yesterday morning and I'm like, this, that all you guys that are actually cheering these riots on because you think they're anarchists or whatever, you're idiots. And the, the military by midweek will be in the streets. And then that night, there's the military in the streets, and everybody going, "Oh, I can't believe it! I, 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 I don't even know what to say." I, I like, you know, and Vin Armani, who I love, was like, "Is anybody really on record saying this two weeks ago?" I'm like, "How about eight years?" <laughs> like, this is of yeah. course this is what they would do. And people say, "Well, you know, yeah. the the American soldier will not fire on American civilians." Well, I think if you've got the 101st Airborne Division together and said, go downtown in Chicago and just start shooting everybody that's there indiscriminately, no, they wouldn't do that. But when you have people lighting shit on fire, smashing things down, and these guys are sitting in their barracks, right, and they're watching some old lady who's supposedly the victim of the police crying because they just burned her apartment down, and you send those guys out there, they'll beat the shit out of anybody that they think is doing it, and they'll believe they're doing the right thing, and You know, the, the, the thing is, people want this to be black and white issue. Um, 
sometimes beating the shit out of somebody in that situation is the right thing to do. Sometimes it's the wrong thing That's, to do, depending on that person. And when you have that kind of chaos, it's almost impossible to know who's who. Right. And it's all nuanced. You need you need intel. You need information on who's doing what and why and all of that. And it's hard to get in a chaotic situation like that. You know, so my, it's, my it's standard for cops is what I do with the, my standard for cops is not some unique standard. It's what I would do what they're doing. If it was me in their situation, you know, if I take out the part that they were called there. So, you know, because you, you want my honest thing. I'm sure this will be an unpopular opinion. But if I had been where this man was in front of me dying with three other officers making sure I could not intervene, I would have been highly tempted to shoot the son of a bitch off of him. You know, and, right. and, and throw my gun it's, down it's and, and let myself be arrested, right? Because, yep. and if you now you can say, like, I don't know if I would have done that, but I, I know I would have been tempted to. You can say in hindsight right now, that was actually the only decision that could have been made that would have saved that man's life and prevented what we're dealing yep. with right now. That was, that was the only decision yep. that could be made other than by the officers themselves, which we know what they did because they've done it. So you've actually put us yep. in a situation where, a, a, a generally law-abiding citizen, I might be an anarchist, but I'm generally a law-abiding citizen because I don't believe in harming others, you're putting me in a position where I'm willing to take the life of a police officer. And then you're surprised that you have riots after you've put Jack Spearco into that position. Or you, I know you too. You might have been in the same, like, I would have been thinking, you know what, I could probably hit his ass no problem at 50 yards. And those other cops, they don't ever train. They can't shoot worth a shit. So, well, I would have done this, right? I would have said, you are fully in control of the situation. Your life is not in danger. That man's life is in danger. You have all of these people watching, and there's a great likelihood that he will die and that all of this will be on your head. You do not want – like, I would have spoken clearly, directly, yeah. and very um, effectively, I would think. And, you know, because this is, this is what people don't understand about the, like, quote-unquote, silent majority of America is everybody is restraining themselves. They don't want conflict. They no. don't want to be at, at odds with anybody. And they avoid it because they are generally good people. But if you push them and push, it's like there's only so much that they can stand watching of, of – it's like how do we keep hell at bay? You know, when all of these things are happening, like when do we stand and say enough is enough? Well, and, you know, I, I hate to say it, but the solution is, in, in some instances, is violence. And it's not violence in the way that you're about to see it, because you're about to see violence that no one in this country would have tolerated two weeks ago, cheered on by the people who wouldn't have tolerated it two weeks ago. And, and that's because that it's dynamic crazy. has been set up, right? You're going to see, you're going to see temporary internment camps, because you can't put all these people in jail. They'll set up, you know, Sheriff Joe Apio style jails just outside the city limits. They'll put curfew right. in place. They'll line up like a bunch of freaking Roman legions with the shields interlocked and the freaking clubs substituting for the swords. And they'll start beating the shit out of people and taking them off there. And then the media is going to call it, you know, uh, uh, concentration camps or something stupid like that. But if, if you want the, the actual solution, not to the problem that caused the riots, but to the riots, is stop setting people up for failure where they can't defend their own stuff. Because like I said, there's a reason you're not going to see any of these people march up here to the Azle, Texas area from downtown forward. It will not happen. And it is there's a, a single yep. reason. For, there's only one reason for it. The, the cost of doing it exceeds the gain. Because getting shot when you can't go loot 27 big screen TVs, really the calculus there, even the dumbass knows that doesn't work. 
But these cities, we've taken these people, we've made them completely helpless. They've arrested more than one business owner for defending their business with a gun. I mean, what else do you expect to happen? Well, you know, so I gave some consideration to how one could solve this, right? If, yeah. if, if a police, a police station has somebody commit a wrongful death, they are not incentivized in any way to actually hold that person accountable. They're not. In fact, it's the opposite. Because if they admit that they did something wrong, then they're open to a civil suit for an uncapped amount of money, which would put their budget out and they wouldn't be able to operate. So in their minds, they're like, we can't admit this or else we will go out of business, so to speak, and we won't be able to protect the community. So they have to cover it up, right, in in their twisted logic. But if there were a cap on the amount of wrongful death civil amounts that you could go for in terms of, of, of a wrongful death, then the police departments could get insurance. They could say, we expect in a, in a given year, we expect one or two wrongful deaths, and you can't ever put a value on a person's life, and that's really obvious, but mm. there has to be some kind of functional system for that, because then they can get insurance, and then they won't go out of business, right? Yeah. Um, and they'll still be able to police and do all of that. So there, there is intelligent solutions to all of these things that don't require violence, and I, I firmly believe that uh, that one should exercise all potential opportunities for peace before there becomes any kind of uh, violence. But, you know, it's it's inflamed by the 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 fact that it was a black man and so many black men are unjustly targeted. And, and there's facts there. So it, it it's like, how do we get the rational discussion going and prevent the boogaloo? Because the boogaloo is not going to fucking help anybody. No, right? no. The boogaloo will resort in more result in more of this stuff. And I completely agree with you on, on peaceful solutions. And ironically, the type of violence I'm talking about is peaceful because yeah. we don't No one here has to shoot anybody. The fact that you will get shot if you do it here is enough to prevent... Deterrent, yeah. It's a deterrent. The fact that it exists and the fact that they know they could tear downtown Minneapolis or Cincinnati or Dallas apart and face very little consequences for doing it is an incentive to do that. Now, on the the police force and the the peaceful solution there, I'll take it a step further. My proposed solution is... With law enforcement, we have really two layers. One is, once you're arrested, there are law enforcement officers, and we don't really think of them as an enforcement officer, but they don't, they're not judicial, right? They just make sure that you stay in a place and you don't leave there until the judicial says you can leave. Now, to me, for you to get into that position, you better show me a victim. Some guy was doing dope or smoking pot or, you know, sold some shit to his neighbor that, that he didn't have a license for or whatever. I don't care. That guy doesn't need to be in jail. And law enforcement, that we as we think of, doesn't need to be involved at that point, right? right. What we need is basic security. That's what everybody thinks they're supposed to protect and serve. We took that off the doors of the cars long ago. The Supreme Court right. says they have no duty to protect you. But that's what people actually want. They want their property, their homes, and their persons protected. So let's just yeah. get rid of police departments. Let's just get now. I, now people are like, oh, you're for Antifa shit, and then what happened? No, I, I'm not done yet. Right? You're stealing tons of money from people that live in these cities that you use to provide supposed law enforcement and security for them. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're all, I don't expect that they'll give that money back. I'm sure you don't either. It'd be nice, but I don't expect it to happen. So right. then let's hire for a city like Los Angeles or a Chicago or whatever a private security firm. This is a billion, multi-billion dollar contract. That's valuable. And every year, the citizens of that city, one vote, counting a simple direct democracy for this one thing, vote to retain retain this firm or hire a new one. Yep, yep. 
Yep. And then, of but, course, you can sue the you could sue the shit out of individuals in that situation. You, there's no Correct. sovereign immunity there, right? And yes. and, and uh, can you find problems? With it? Sure, we can work through those problems. And one of the things I've always been with solutions is my solutions does not have to be perfect. It just has to be better than what you have. So it has it, to be workable, it, right? And it has to be doable. And that's there's a lot of kinks to work out with something like that. And I actually think like giving that contract for Chicago to a single firm, Chicago's way too big of a city. Detroit, you have to have that broken down. But if the individual citizen simply says, I don't like the way things are, give me somebody new. Because voting, people say, well, why don't we elect police chiefs the way we do sheriffs? Because it won't do shit. Electing a right. new town council doesn't do anything. Electing a new police chief doesn't do anything. Electing you, you know, a new governor or mayor, them. they, they yeah. don't, even if you recall them, so what? So I'm a dick. So they, they recall me and they put you in charge as mayor of Chicago. You don't actually have much control over what happens to 500 officers on the street. The 500 officers doing or not doing their job right are the actual problem. You can't fire everybody. Give the citizen the ability to fire them. And, and my other side of that is, who's the customer? Right? Who's the customer for law enforcement? Right now, the customer for law enforcement is the state. So you always do your customer's bidding. That's, that's right. how business works. So right now, the, the state is the customer, and law enforcement is the employee, and therefore, whatever the state wants, law enforcement is directed to do. Shouldn't law enforcement's customer be me? Shouldn't I be the customer? Shouldn't I, my business be protected from the homeless guy shitting on my porch? Like, isn't that actually what they should be doing? And I'm just saying, yep. and does that mean that, you know, Tallahassee might do a really good job, and, and Chicago will totally cuck it up? Sure. But you know what? Let people have control of their own destiny. And if someplace becomes a total shithole, then all the producers will actually leave. Right now, the producers right. stay in place because they can buy what they want. Yep. So with with Firon, for instance, if you have these positions like a cop or a security force, they have what's called tokenized access. So that Look, means hold on. Before you, I, I want to hear this, but before you do that, tell people what Firon is so they know. Okay, so... Right. So Firon is essentially a it, it's a little bit off of your model, too, by the way, Jack. Okay. It's like a buyer's club where people can come and get discounts to the vendors that they think are good, that help the planet, that stand for the right causes. You can pay with your vote with your dollars, essentially. But it's also a social management tool where we can come together. We, we spend our money using the, the Firon card. And instead of Visa and MasterCard getting the transaction fees, we keep them. Because we process it. We are the payment solution, right? And But we own it together as a cooperative. Everybody gets one vote. They are one member, right? And you can you you, you, the, you, you pay like a day's worth of wages in whatever country you're in. And then what happens is, is when those those collections of the, the transaction fees build up, we put together uh, like a Kickstarter-style presentation. Like, we want to open up a school here. It's going to cost this much. We need these many resources, this many people. And then everybody votes yes or no. Like, should we put the money towards that or not? Right. And so if we say, oh, we want a, a police force, the people who run the company, we have to think of our elected leaders as janitors. Right. They are there to make sure the system is running smoothly and that they are there to, to, to do our bidding, clean it up. Right. So when we vote for somebody or put somebody who has a greater sphere of influence, let's say the police chief in your case. Yeah. Then we say, OK, this person touches these 12,000 people. All of those 12,000 people get to rate him on a daily hour by hour basis. Um, on the job that he's doing because he's affecting them. And if his rating goes below a phi ratio of how many people are in that quorum, then his token is automatically revoked and he can't get into it. It's like he loses his keys to his office. He can't get in to do his job. <laughs> Somebody's there to take his place. 
and, and it's ultimate accountability and ultimate like recallability. So if you're fucking up, it's like we all see it and it's at the speed of life and you're gone. Right. Until you clean up your act and prove to us that you're not going to be corrupt anymore. So it holds people accountable and it, it's a more efficient system of governance that the people decide on the rules. How do we prevent based okay, on an economic system? I actually love that system. It is my system to a degree. Um, it, it's a, a version of many different systems I've had that work that way. But I saw something that really made me question it and think of how, the, how to put fail-safes into it to prevent abuse of that. And it was, I don't know if you're Great. familiar with it, there's a series out of the UK, it's called Black Mirror. It's on Netflix. Yep. And it's one of those series. I'm, like, I'm familiar with that episode, right? yes. So I'm most familiar pe- with that specific episode. So, so let me explain it to so audiences too. But it's one of those things that like Good. a lot of things on Netflix you'll binge. You won't binge Black Mirror unless you have a depraved mind. Like two episodes of that and Seriously. your mind is screwed for a week. I'll, I'll take a break and I'll come back later. But the one, you know what I'm talking about. It's like a social media thing for people. And people live in different classifications. And if your points are too low, you can't get a nice apartment and things like that. It's very much similar to what the Chinese government's doing right now. Um, and I don't well, see I this Well, I gave necess- the lecture in China. Okay. I, I, I promoted this social merit system in, in Hong Kong in 2014. And the guys who built their system were asking me all kinds of questions. And I felt terrible for giving that, that, that talk. Yeah. Because I felt like some, in some way I'm contributing to that monstrosity. Exactly. And so like, how, how yes, do we prevent it? Because let's say... Right. Let's say Xavier is a – because I would see, like, if this only affects the chief, we're back to the same problem. Let's say Xavier is a security officer or a police officer or whatever we have in Jacktown, right, in my town, and and, and Mm -hmm. me and, like, 20 of my buddies just decide we think you're a freaking asshole, right? So we just every day give Mm -hmm. you a bad result, and we even make sure that we have an interaction with you so that we can give you a bad result, right? How do we prevent that type of gaming of a review system? I mean – if you want a review system that should be great, it's Amazon. However, if you don't use something like FakeSpot with it, it's heavily gamed. It is, and the reason why is it doesn't cost anything. Okay. If it costed if it costed you to rate somebody, mm. either negatively or positively, if, if it went against your merit, right? Like you're talking shit about somebody else, you better have reason to back it up. Otherwise, okay. it's going to negatively affect your score as well. So it actually encourages, like, okay, what can I look for that's positive in this person? Call that mm. out more. Now, it, it the the it has to be if the system like this would it would be implemented, it would have to be owned and managed and maintained. And the parameters by which we define our culture or our values would have to be looked at on a constant basis by the people who are in the system. Like, is this serving us? Is this is this rating system serving us? Like, it, it has to be curated. And the way that we go out and build a permaculture farm, you know, we put smart design in for, for regenerative agriculture to take place naturally, but we have to put inputs, right? Yeah. We have to kind of curate it. So it would take responsibilities, like Ben Franklin said, like you have a republic if you can if you can keep it, you know. And and I think like right now I'm focusing on my friends and and groups of of associates and people and saying like, look, this system that we have sucks, right? It, there's so much corruption; it's almost not even working for us anymore, as we can see in the streets. The states have all this inordinate power uh, that they're misusing for their own political agenda and hurting all these people. Like all of that just sucks. So how can we hold each other accountable and, and use what we have and say, okay, like, 
I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm an amputee. I've lost my leg, but I'm still going to go out there, put on a thing and run and do it because it's the right fucking thing to do. It keeps me alive. It keeps me happy. And I might not, and in some ways I might even become better than others if I got those springy things, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't want to be insensitive to anybody who has that because I can't imagine having to, to, to live that way. And God bless anybody who's, who's overcoming those challenges. But my point here is that, um, if you have that, that system that's already in operation, let's use it to the best of our abilities. There's certain things that people on either side of the fence can agree on, right? Like JFK documents being declassified, that would go a huge way to holding accountable the FBI and the CIA for all the atrocities that they've done, right? They're good people in all those organizations, but a lot of what they've done is really fucking horrible. Um, then you've got other things like how the votes are, are counted, who's doing in, uh, the, uh, the IT security for the voting systems and for the RNC and for the DNC. Why is the DNC not accountable to its 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 uh, its people and put in whoever they want? They legally do not have to put the person that that is voted that the popular uh, Democratic Party is voted for. Like there are systemic things that we can get across from all sides of the the aisle and actually just call the White House and be like release the JFK docs or whatever it is. But getting active, tweeting, you know, like. I think that that's important because if we just sit back and expect somebody to do this for us, we come into all those problems of corruption that caused these things in the first place. So on the, the that's the, my soapbox. We, that's great. No, that's great. I'll, going back on the original thing though, I like the idea that if if Officer Hawk comes out and I don't like what you did, it costs me something to complain about you because it's probably a moderate cost it's probably something very small that would be insignificant to me but if i do it all the time it's it's cumulative effect so if i'm just a chronic complainer i also like the idea of something that ebay did when cuz their power sellers got really pissed off what would happen is mm-hmm. i buy something from you you ship it to me and the mail carrier messes it up and let's say it's live fish and they left it out in the sun and they all died right. so instead of contacting you, I'm like, I'll fix his ass, and I go on eBay and leave you a one-star review, and you're, you've got a stellar reputation, and I'm dinging your rep without giving you a chance to correct it. So what they did on eBay is if once you have a certain reputation, so you do have to earn that, but you have kind of a, you, you've done enough that in general you're recognized as someone that, that does a good job. If I have a complaint about you and I try to leave you a negative review, it won't let me do it. It will make me seek resolution with you first. And then right. if we don't get a, a definitive resolution, and I think if you're in a situation where your reputation matters to you and you have a chance to make something right and you're actually wrong, not everybody's going to turn into Mother Teresa. No one here is saying this is utopia. Now, only status promise right. utopia. Um, yep. it, but more often than not, two sides will come to some sort of an agreement because it's in both because everybody acts in their self-interest. So the more you can do that my self-interest is is tied to your self-interest, the closer yep. to mutualism we can get voluntarily. And let's say you have a corporate training program that's gamified like a role-playing game and you get stats and you get grades and all of this stuff and your interactions with people 
it those flux over time and the the better you do and you have a tra- a track record that you can follow like training so there are people out in the world now that are professional mediators right and they have to get work however they get work now but if if the system is built in such a way where a conflict comes up they're pinged because they're they're statted as somebody who does mediation and has good ratings in that they can come intermediate between you two and and provide extra value and come to like some kind of growth out of it you know there there could be something that holds both people accountable like there are beautiful and numerous ways which we could do that but it's not all financial capital like you know Ethan and Gregory right Ethan Roland and Gregory Landau the eight forms of capital yep they like they they inspired a lot of this work because it's like how do we how do we gauge a person's value to a system? And there are so many different ways, and it's not just financial, but like that mediator. They might have like a high spiritual capital and, you know, be able to, to, to really be effective in helping people bridge their differences, whatever it is. But we can quantify and then uh, commodify those interactions so that people are basically living their lives, doing what they want, and they're getting value in return. Um, yeah. And I think the mediation... So I, I think that there's... The, the mediation existing generally surplants the need for the mediation. So, like, I've been highly advised against it by lawyers who want to charge me to do it themselves, but I've written a lot of contracts and business deals over the deals. I've written a ton of contracts. And and first thing I'll tell you is don't write the contract, because if you write the contract, any ambiguity benefits the other party. I agree. However, the only way Mm -hmm. I know to get that contract written right is to write it myself. I, I trust everybody else less than I trust myself to write a contract. In every, same, same. Every contract I've written states that if you and I have a disagreement, that we must first seek non-binding private arbitration. And if that doesn't mm-hmm. work, then we must seek binding private arbitration. And then we can only use the state to enforce the binding private arbitration. You know how many times I've been to arbitration? Zero. The fact that that's yeah. there, the fact that you and I are fighting over this thing, and if you say, well, Jack, I'm just going to sue your ass, and you know you are forced to sit down with a non-binding arbitrator, third party first, negotiate with me, we're going to negotiate. Before we ever do That's that, right. we're going to negotiate because you can't just hand it off to your attorney. It's impossible. Right. Like We have an agree- agreement that's ironclad that we must take these steps first, and therefore every disagreement, no matter how nasty a couple of them have been nasty, all of a sudden they ended up like, Remember that agreement. Okay, why don't you go take a break? I'll take a break. Let's talk about this Monday Mm -hmm. and see if we can come to an agreement before we go both pay to have this guy come in to mediate a conversation between the two of us because we can't have one. And then, well, it's forcing accountability. Yeah. It's, it's like being like, you, you, you can, it's going to cost all of us and it's going to be negative, like the negative reputation score that it costs to talk shit about somebody else. It's like you, you, you enforce accountability and you encourage, uh, transcendence in a sense. Let's say it that way. Like you have to find a better solution. Absolutely. One that matches both people. Yeah. And it's like, we're, we're a long way from anybody living on this, on the planet in like complete harmony. Like that's not going to happen in our lifetimes, probably not our kids' lifetimes, but we, it, we have to be striving towards something that makes sense and not just surviving and trying to keep hell at bay. Like who wants to live on a planet like that? I, I completely agree. Let's pull back to the COVID thing for a few moments and then we're going to talk more about your company. Um, okay. What is your perspective on this pandemic as a whole? I have uh, firsthand knowledge that it is a, a bioweapon. It is genetically engineered. Um, the, the coin toss is whether it was done so uh, 
intentionally and or accidentally. Um, I'm leaning towards intentionally, but not by the CCP, but by elements within the CCP in the same way that like, you know, there have been so so-called false flags in the United States pulled off by elements within the government, but not necessarily the government itself. Um, I think Zhang Zemin, who was the former head of China, was, was a very dangerous man and would be able to and still has the power to kind of do something like this. Um, and that it is on behest of like a global agenda, let's say, to, to, to have a new world order like George Bush would proclaim. Um, I believe that to be the case. And I believe that it was like it was clearly uh, the who ran interference for the CCP. The CCP said you cannot travel outside of Wuhan to any part in China, but you can definitely go to the United States. Yeah. You can definitely go to Italy and you can go anywhere else. Right. So that's actual facts on the ground. It's not just the president saying it. Um, and, and, and frankly, like the who ran interference and some of the elements within our own government ran interference because, and I believe this and I don't have facts for it or evidence to back it up. But if you look at circumstantial evidence, you can see that, you know, the way that people have behaved in response to this, were not in the interests of the American people were in the interests of somebody else or some group of other people, maybe they're, they're pay, the people who pay them. I don't know. Um, and so I believe that this was a calculated event, and I believe that these riots also are a calculated test of the the, the spirit of America, let's say, a test testing the um, the uh, wherewithal of the people and also our defensive capabilities at a very ground level. And I think it's very uh, scary in a sense because it, it's it's real life. People are dying and getting hurt, and a tremendous amount of damage is being done. And like you said, the economic. Uh, impact of this is going to be felt for, for many years, many years. And it's horrible. So, but again, the virus itself is proven to be effective in terms of mortality against a specific segment of the population who happen to be over a certain age and who happen to have compromised immune systems. And out of that population, it's very deadly, right? With a high mortality rate. But outside of that population, it's like less than the flu according to the people who are studying it, right? The people yeah. who have the, the genetic sequences. I know, and I know these people. So I'm on phone calls and they're saying, yeah, this is, this is what's happening. And like the masks are ridiculous, but it, it does actually prove effective in these, these uh, case studies over here in South Korea and whatever. So I'm, I'm taking the, the raw data and I'm parsing it and I'm saying, what is an intelligent response to this? And then looking at the, the national response and it's like, so I get what Trump was doing. You know, it's like he has to. Right. That's the that's his fucking job. He has to prove to everybody that he's doing the best that he can to prevent it, even though he has intel saying otherwise. Right. Because if he was to challenge the narrative, it would be even worse than what's going on now. So he has to kind of let it play out and say, look, and, and, and everybody's cards get exposed. You know, it's like in a poker game. It's like you keep bluffing or keep bluffing, but you, you keep playing along with the with the other guy's hand. And then next thing you know, it's you're, it's time for a call and you see who's who. So I, I'm seeing like these war games kind of being played and, you know, the, the ultimate debacle of world war and, and, you know, uh, uh, civil war and all these things trying to be avoided at all costs and people trying to use restraint. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things going on with that beyond there. And one is like, so the initial government response was the safe response for those in government. If you did mm -hmm. nothing and you had the exact same result that you did, Doing nothing would have been the right decision, but then everybody would have said you should have done something. Enough people, exactly. di right? Enough people died that they would have said, "Oh my God, you should have locked everything down." So it was a safe thing to do. I think once right. we got into this a bit, we started to have some real data and real knowledge. And when we know that 43% of the people that died from this, at minimum, minimum, yep. Yep. were in elder care facilities. 43% yep. 
of the deaths yep. are from 0.6% of the population of the country. Okay, exactly. so you know that's the at risk. And then there's another group, you know, a huge majority of the, the, the remaining, you know, what is it, 57% are also yep. easy to identify. Well, now you know who to do your best to protect. And you ain't going to protect all exactly. of them. Some are going to die. And once you're in your 80s, I, I hate saying this because I know I got 80 year old listeners, but you know, when I was a mm-hmm. kid, 80-year-olds were in touch with this reality. Sooner or later, you're going to get something that's going to kill you. And it's going to be right. something that wouldn't kill me at 50. And when I'm 80, Correct. that will apply to me, and that's life. The number one cause of the death in, death in elderly right, is pneumonia from respiratory infection, parentheses, other. That's, that's, Which happened to have gone down this year. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like, like okay. I mean, the, the so measured response that on? makes the measured response that makes sense to me is what Sweden did, um, and then yeah. Sweden, and, and I, you know, people listen. So now I'm a broken record, but there's also new people all the time too. So I have to say this: when people start screaming about, well, but the death rate per million in Sweden. So when Sweden started this out, they didn't lock down those elder care facilities. If you adjust for that, right. they did as well as any other country with comparable population density in the world, no matter what they did. Right. So right. and they came out and said, we we screwed this up. We messed this up. This yep. was a mistake. We're fixing yep. this one thing and we're going on. But it amazes me. It doesn't really amaze me. It it amazes me. No one sees how obvious it is that the minute all well, because this, you're curious, the, the minute all this crap started with the riots, also no one gives a flying shit about covid anymore. And, and they'll go exactly. on and they'll say, well, these riots could cause a spike just in case there is one. So they can point back and say they said it. But 30 days from now, when there isn't one, everybody that said it will just pretend it never happened. Because now we have something new to control people with, so we don't need that old thing to control people with. Exactly. And it's because you're curious. We're, we're curious individuals, you and I. We look deeper and we want the data for ourselves because we trust our own intellect, trust our own decision-making process, and the ability to parse data and find this, the true signal, right? Many people proxy that to others and want to be told what's happening and so because of that their their emotions are stoked because they are not vigilant of their thinking not vigilant in their emotional responses and they get triggered to these things and you lead them around like it's like a a, a sheepdog that's what the job of a sheepdog is right it's not the sheepdog that's going to eat the sheep it's the farmer so it, it you've got these situations where there are legitimate forces within the u.s foreign and domestic right um there are legitimate forces within the u.s that would like to see the way life goes about be completely different and more tyrannical. And they are stoking the fear. They are encouraging everybody to be violent. They are, and not by saying go and burn things down, but by saying the things that make a person angry and get, get emotionally charged enough to actually go do something. Right. I think that if there were like, like, gosh, I, I, I think that there's been a great deal of restraint by our government and I'm actually impressed by it. And I honestly, I never liked the orange man. It's like I didn't I, I just didn't vote because of how horrible Hillary was. And I never listened to Trump because I thought he was a, a douche. I just didn't. I was like, come on, this guy's, a, you know, he can't speak. And then and then when the covid thing happened, I needed straight data. I needed straight intel. I needed coming straight from the source. So I knew what they weren't saying, what they were hiding, what they were, you know, telling everybody to make everybody feel calm. You know, and like getting that straight data and seeing their responses and him saying the Constitution like 12 times. I'm like, I feel a little bit more comfortable that there are people that know what they're doing and are are taking reasonable precautions. You know, um, I think what he's saying is like 
everybody, you can go back to work. Like, you need to open the churches. Like, what the hell are you thinking? And it's because the governors have such a stranglehold on their states. And you can see the ones that are doing well and how their governors think and behave and, and how, how much they reason compared to others who are terrified and holding their power base, like, as hostage. You know what I'm saying? And it's, and it's again, like I said, everybody's putting their cards on the table because it's coming to a frothing head. Where do you think it and goes the, the, from here? Where do you, what do you think happens next? I mean, I think we both know what happens next as far as the riots. We get martial law. Yeah. We get a bunch of heads busted. Eventually, it's, it, the, the riots burn themselves out. And then everybody that lives in the places those riots happen's life is worse for it. Like, no good yep. comes. So we know that. So that's not what I mean. I'm yep. talking on the more ma- on the on the more on macro. the macro. Like, what do yeah. you think happens in America next? And how does this thing get used as spackling for the next brick? Well, I think what we need to do as Americans, and I, I, I'm, it's really rare for me to say this because, like, again, I've just sort of come into being proud of being an American. Like, I have been uh, very uh, complaining of all the things that are wrong. Look at all this corruption. We need to fix this, right? But in the face of, like, the fundamental threat to our the fabrics of our society, that goodness that we all come together for, the striving for liberty and justice for all, like, those are qualities worth striving for. And I think that we are under attack not just by outside forces, communism and, you know, the New World Order, let's say, but, like, people within the country who believe that that would be better. And anybody who thinks that the world run like China would be a better world to live in has really got a lot of thinking to do and a lot of hard knocks coming to them because that's not how you run a civilization on the macro level. The spirit needs to be free. There needs to be inspiration. There needs to be striving. Otherwise, we don't go anywhere and we are cattle. And nobody wants to live like that. I mean, every communist regime has destroyed their entire intellectual base. The people who help support them to get in, they destroy them first, right? And people don't recognize this because they don't know history. So on a macro level, I think we're under attack. And I think we're, our borders are being tested. And I don't mean just our physical borders. I mean the borders of what we're willing to put up with. And I, I see measured response coming from the government. And, yes, I, I, I could definitely – if this shit continues on for another few days, yeah, they're going to be deploying in the streets and it's going to be posse comitatus, you know, boom. Any insurrection, you're down. And, and the, the challenge there is like, okay, if that happens – how quickly do they pull back from that? Because I have seen a measured response and not throwing the National Guard out onto the scene right away. And like states, you need to handle this. You know, this is your job. You have a police force. This is what it's for. And so if if it goes to heavy handed martial law, it, it's going to be very terrifying for the whole nation. And it's going to be the, the boogaloo crowd is going to be like, we see, we told you. And then the anarchist crowd is going to be like, see, we got to fight against this. And it's more division. And it, we can't have that. We need to come together and we need to come together and understand that our very way of life is as being tested and not threatened yet, but tested severely. And if we can, you know, uh, really value what it means to have a constitution and in the world being the only place that really values your individual freedom to say, I can carry a weapon. And if you tell me that I have to go do something that's against my interest or take a vaccine, I can very well shoot you and, and be justified in doing so. That is not protected anywhere else into any large degree with a power powerhouse like the United States. Right. And the fact that we're going into space again, like, Trump said some crazy shit like we're going to have the best economic revival ever. And I'm like, yeah, let me see how you pull that one off, big guy. And um, 
but with, with the idea of moving into space at a commercial level, like we actually are going to see an entire boom of a new industry like the car industry with mm. all the, th- the thousands of companies that support that, that main industry. You know, like Ford has all of these suppliers and it really boosts an economy to have that. And I think that if we, you know, it was good that we, that Elon did what he did and all these kids are watching it in these slick ass space suits. Like this is where we, we, we thrive as Americans with inspiration, with something that we're striving towards bettering the world that we live in and not succumbing to the darkness. So I see a very measured response coming. Um, and hopefully it's not, it, hopefully it doesn't escalate further. But like, I think a lot of people, like you said, would be thrilled, like fucking bring back law and order, please, at whatever cost. And that's the, that's the trick, right? Because that's how you get people to accept authoritarian government. And so we, there, there has to be a balance there that we like whatever measure to bring back law and order is not overcoming the constitutional rights of law abiding citizens. Once I see goes, this looking up, a lot like ni- the 1960s ahead. to 1970, right? Okay. We're I, going, I, I read your quote. That's right. Yeah, right we're going to the moon. We have, we have riots in the streets. Yep. We're looking at a, a protracted recovery that's probably going to take a decade when we look at yep. it by measure GDP. That's, that's out of the Fed. Um, yeah. we're, we're coming out of a pandemic. Uh, it, it looks like 1968 to 1970. Just instead of 1968 to 1970 taking 24 months, we got it all up the butt in five. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, Because yeah, exactly. I believe that when you want to know what's going to happen, you look at the past, and, yep. and you look for the pattern that looks like the one you're in, and that's what you're about to get. Yep. The, the pattern there is dramatic dramatically identical. Yeah. We're also involved in foreign wars that we're getting tired of and people don't want to do anymore. We're looking for a peace Correct. dividend that's already been spent. I mean, literally, like, and this is 1968 to 1970 in five months. We have a president that yeah. tried to impeach. I mean, where, <laughs> I mean, come on. This is a 1970. It is. Now, I do think yeah, it's that an echo of the past. on your measured response, I, I think that this is what's most likely, is that they'll take and they'll use curfew as the violation. Yep. And what they want to do is they mm-hmm. want to break these rights. They want, what they really want yeah. is people to go home. That's how you stop a riot. I, mean, I think them. they're trying to let them tucker out. Yeah, yeah exactly. and see if they don't, so I said what they'll do is they set up the Joe, the Joe Apayo-type jails. You pass, yeah. it can be a local, it doesn't have to be federal, you do a local ordinance. That if you're in violation of curfew, you get 14 days in jail. So then, is you wait 30 minutes after curfew, and instead of tear gassing people, you start grabbing people. You just take as many as you can at a time, and you convoy their ass to the the jail, and you put them in there for 14 days, and you just keep stacking them in there until the number of people left. There's not that many of them, and then it's like, well, shit, I don't want to go yeah. eat MREs for 14 days. And if, I, if they let you go on right. day 15, you go back, you go back to the Ohio jail. This time you go for 21 days. And with the whole, like, due process, I'll tell you, they will do. I, I'm, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Everybody Military knows that. Military due process. Right, right. No, no, no. They'll do the Philadelphia Eagles due process. At the old vet stadium, mm-hmm. there were so many fights, they put a judge in the stadium. And if you got in a fight in the, in the vet stadium, they arrested your ass, took you downstairs, and put you in front of a judge immediately. Right? They'll put a judge at the front of that thing. What is the evidence that this guy was out after curfew? Here's a picture of him out after curfew. Guilty, 14 days. 
Guilty. Yeah, exactly. Here's your defense attorney. He wasn't there. Yes, he was. Guilty 14 days. I'd like to appeal it. Good. Right. That takes 21 days to do. He'll be in jail until then. Yep. And that's what then they'll say. Yep. The bail is and suspended in this situation due to the situation. And they'll do something like that, but it'll get really, really bloody in certain areas. And I don't like it, but I'm yeah. not, again, people say, well, Jack's advocating. I don't advocate anything. I'm the weatherman. This is what the hurricane's yep. going to look like is not, I'm right. rooting for this hurricane. I'm just looking at the exactly. weather pattern, or in this case, the historical pattern. And what would I do if I was in charge and I wasn't me? What would I do if I was in charge and I was them? And if I was in charge yeah. and I was them, what I just told you is not only what I would do, as soon as the bricks started flying and, and, the, and the Molotov cocktail started going, it's what I would have done if I were them. You know, I'd like to believe yeah. if I was in charge that my city wouldn't be burning in the first place, but who knows? It's easy to judge that's another right. man when you're not of, his, you know, in his shoes. That, that's right. I've seen a lot of good police precincts and, and officers, you know, down in Florida. The guy had a great conversation with the people and was like, look, you want to go on the highway. I get it. You want to let everybody know that this is wrong. I get it. But if you go on the highway, you're putting your lives in danger and their lives. You're shutting down commerce. And you're like, he really just laid it out in really clear yeah. terms. And they, they talked him down and everybody was like, OK, cool. And then, you know, other other stations, people get on the knees and like, you know, they take a knee with everybody or they put their fists up and they walk with them like that is community. And if you want to see how communities are going to fare in the future here, you'll see how they responded. And those communities will do much better than the other communities. Yep. The people where the corruption is at the top, it's going to it's just going to be harder for those people. And that's why that's why it's important to have these systems that like are anti-corruption systems that you can route out people and get them get them out of their, their janitorial position as quick as possible i think that you know what's like looking at the response like trump came out and said we have the national defense authorization act we can close down everything we can take your business and take it over and like he he said like here we are i can do all of these things but instead i'm gonna let you do what you're supposed to do because you're the kids now and you're you say you're coming up and like let's see how you do right and i'm here to support you know the federal government is here to support where you fail so like i i want to say uh, you know to all my friends who really hate me for, for just even considering the orange man's not bad, you know, like <laughs> you just got to look at the facts and what's happened and be emotionally agnostic. You say you're loving and kind and all of these things, but like you're not being, you're being judgmental and hateful. And I would be appalled if I was on that side of the fence or on this side of the fence looking at this. Like there's, there is a transcendent picture that we could take that includes all of us. And, but it involves again, striving towards something. Well, I think when you judge the anybody's response to anything, you have to judge that individual response. Like, yes. I can hate the orange man, but I can still right. say in this instance, this was a, a, a especially saying for a president of the United States, this was right. a pretty intelligent decision, even though I think the man's an idiot. He got this exactly. one right. I have quoted Rachel Maddow as being accurate on some things. I don't think there's a single person out there that thinks I'm a Rachel Maddow ally. Supporter, right. 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 It, it, I will quote, the, in the words of Richard Bach in Illusions, I will quote the truth where I find it. And I think that right. we have to judge those individual things as well. What would you have done? And like I said, a lot of these situations, I don't know. Um, I personally think that yeah. the cities as a whole are a failed experiment. I mean, my kind of running theme yep. this week is if you're in a city, there's your problem. Right. And, and I don't mean little towns yeah. and things. I'm talking these big mega cities where all this shit's happening throughout history. That's right. 
They have been a, they have, and you also ask, well, what do they exist for? What is their purpose? And they exist to centralize power, to justify taxation, and to control people. That's why they exist. That's Cities right. were not built because we can have more stuff if we have a city. Cities were built so that power elite could control the population by having a larger Easier. dependent population in one location that can't be self-sufficient. There is no such thing is a self-sufficient city, and there never will be if we're talking about cities like I'm talking about. You can't take 8.6 million people in, in New York City and cram them into 300 square miles, and I don't care if you build the tallest skyscrapers in the world and coat the outside of them with vertical farms. You cannot build that many people into that square foot and be self-sufficient. And if you're not self-sufficient, you must be dependent. It's, it, you, you see what I'm saying? You can't be one and not the other. You have to be one yeah. or the other, right? So as soon as I have a large population that outweighs the population of the rest of a, a geographic area that are dependent on the rest of the geographic area, I can use that mob with any kind of Leverage. democracy I put on it as a cloak to control the rest of those people. These people can't revolt. In reality, all they can do is do what they're doing now. They can burn their own city down. Oh, darn. I heard some idiot made a, yep. a comparison to Star Wars. He goes, why can't you people see that violence against the, you know, you cheer Star Wars, but you don't get this. And I'm like, hey, you remember the part in Star Wars where the rebels burned down their own cities to teach the Empire a lesson? Remember that? That was awesome, yeah. right? Like, right? Like, that doesn't make right. any sense. That doesn't make any sense at all. But that's that's the place that we're in. But the reason is very simple. What else can they do? You know, and if people that, like, think that, that rioting and mass demonstration all can make change... It can. It has. Uh, get on Netflix and look up Winter on Fire about the demonstrations in the Ukraine. But those people were mm -hmm. not going around pulling big screen TVs out of small business uh, is, or even big businesses. They laid siege to the empire. They laid siege to the government buildings. They took the, ele the elements of the system hostage. Riots are like where yeah. you invade a building, you kill everybody in the building, And then you contact the authorities and you say you're holding them as hostages. That's that's what a riot is like. I, well, we've got hostages. Yeah. Can we see them? And they're all dead on the ground. Sir, you do not have hostages. You have dead bodies. Get ready for the SWAT team to come in. Right? Like That's what yeah. you've done. When you move into a city and you occupy it and you don't destroy it, I'm not necessarily saying you should, but at least at that point, or if the only thing that you're attacking is the apparatus that you see as the enemy – Then you have some sort of leverage, and you have some sort of yep. popular support. If you go in and they're showing me pictures of an old lady who said this little thing, I this little business here was all I had, and she's in tears. No matter how much I was mm -hmm. on your side, I'm not now. I'm not. When you show me a right. man, a black man laying on the ground dying, while 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 guys are walking past him saying "Rest in peace, dog." While he dies, yeah. and he was shot by looters, not cops. You've lost me. You, there's no way I can support what you're doing now. So you've taken. I think that, that was the, the day this video came out, I think 90% of Americans were like, "I never knew it was this bad." They became open to something they were never open for. It took 48 hours to destroy it, to ruin it, to ruin the. As bad yeah. as it was, there was an opportunity there to reach people that you could not reach, and it took 48 hours to destroy it. Do you remember when you were a kid and you did something really wrong and then all of a sudden you were caught? Mm -hmm. You were dead caught. Like yeah. your, your parents got you. You like, and yeah. you, you got the cookie on your hand, whatever it is. And you just knew like, boom, oh shit, I'm in for it now. Mm -hmm. And you had to become accountable for all of the misdeeds and wrong shit that you had done, right? Yep. 
it's that's happening at like a national level right now. Like the, the the systemic racism is justifiably wrong. There is no reason for it to exist. We have to come together and figure out a way to exist together and celebrate each other. Then, you know, the, the fundamental laws of the police departments and the way that things are structured, that's just wrong. And we're seeing that. And that there are people within our own like United States institution who are working against our goals. And it's like, you have to just come and be, and like people weren't accountable. It was people like you and me and others like that had come before us that are saying, yo, these guys are doing wrong things. And nobody gave a damn because they didn't feel it. They did not see it. It did not affect them. And you can be sure as hell it's affecting them now. And people who had never paid attention to the goings on behind the scenes or involved themselves in that way are doing so now. Little old biddies here in, in, you know, uh, in the, in the mountains, they're like, you know, talking to me at the grocery clerk, like, did you know that this person and this person was involved with this? And they're like getting involved. Yeah. And that, that right there is the good thing that's coming out of all of this. And that is where we need to stick with it because we need to connect with one another, understand what base reality is and all of these other nonsense things that are playing out before us, like a theater, like we can't get emotionally involved. We have to stay calm. We have to think clearly and stay focused on our goals. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, I think, well, unfortunately or unfortunately, I think we're in this like juxtaposition where you have a, a mass awakening and yet yeah. the agitators seem to be really good at putting everybody back to sleep because you talked about getting caught. Well, the first thing that you try when you got caught stealing the cookie is to blame your brother. Right. And, and, and right. the riots are kind of like the ability to take the unified mom and dad and, and get them fighting with each other. Right. So you were in trouble. Now, all of a sudden, brother's in trouble. And even if you're still in trouble, you're in less trouble because there's only so much trouble to go around. And and that's that's kind of what's going on here. I mean, you know, analogy. Yeah, Yeah. it's it it really is. So um, what let's go back to talking about your 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 company now and and what role that that might play and how you're how you're like, what, what's going on there? Like what's your timeline? Um, right. What so comes next? We're opening, yeah. We're opening up our doors for investment next week. Um, we have people around the world who are really thrilled about the project, but the way I've built the investment is that, um, you know, whether the project succeeds or fails, the investors are going to make some really good money uh, based upon the picks that we're adding into this, this whole thing. This will give us enough money to, to launch with the MVP. It's ready. It's waiting at the, at the Apple store. Um, but it doesn't have the voting and it doesn't have the wallet and anything. It's just a social network that people can communicate in without censorship, without the algorithms keeping certain information from you, without, you know, just open and free like it used to be, right? Um, and then from there, we're going to do some festivals and take them around the country, kind of like a, a church revivals, but like, uh, you know, cultural revivals. Let, let's get back to business. And using this framework, we could actually deploy a citizens conservation corps. Um, we could use this as the framework to really getting Americans working again and, and, and productive stuff like infrastructure and all of that. Um, and with the model, the economic model we have, it, it, it's actually like, the same thing that we talked about a long time ago, permacredits and the permaculture model, but based into economics, using permaculture as the fundamentals for economics and creating that regenerative economic model. Um, and so we'll see some festivals happening, hopefully by the end of the year, uh, provided, you know, where the whole city and country is not burning in flames um, or even even maybe if it is like who knows. Um, and so we'll get people using the app uh, like Understanding what, how the system works, how to, how to advance your career, your merit, your, your actual payouts, what you get paid from the system for being part of it. And, um, 
you know, hopefully we see that. I'm working with uh, some aides of like Tulsi Gabbard and and on the Republican side as well, reaching out to some folks to see if we can get some bipartisan stuff so that maybe we can have a real citizen conservation corps like FDR tried to make, um, but one that's privatized and, 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 and it's cooperative, right? So everybody owns it. It's not like Xavier Hawk owns it and sells it to, you know, stocks or, or any of that. It's like, we have to vote on how it operates together. And so it's going to take some really good, you know, thinkers, rational beings, people who are um, early adopters, getting in there and testing the system, giving feedback and, and using it. Right. And then uh, then we open it up to the public and, and see what we can do for for countries, for municipalities. You know, um, it, it's a new system. It's a new idea. So it's it's it has to be explained simply in the sense that. You all get together, decide how you spend the money that you that you spend now on the, the various vendors that you do. We keep the transaction fees and we vote where that goes. That that that's like imagine getting to choose where your taxes went. You could say I, I, I send out of my twenty thousand dollars tax, whatever I have to pay that year. You know, I have um, I want this much to go to schooling, this much to go to military, this much to go to roads or whatever. So this gives us the, that, that kind of control. Um, but essentially it's a social network that you get to spend your money through and you keep the, the funds. And what we get to do there at vendors is like, instead of them getting charged, we can give them a percent back as well for being part of the network. So we expect rapid adoption on the vendor side. Is there like maybe a, a planned first initiative that you want to try to get out of the gate? So like a lot of times people will set up this is different, but the same, right? The same, but different, man. Um, in, it, it's, is, in that it is a, a, a company. It, it might be a different type of company, uh, more of a collective owned company where, where people have a stake. Yeah. And, and what have you, but it's still like a company, mm-hmm. right? So if I establish a company and I say, well, I'm going to do like one of my old companies, we did, um, we, we basically developed artificial intelligence programs that did modeling. Uh, for just about any industry, for the airline industry, for, for whatever. But the, the product that we rolled out first, the first initiative was for telecommunications wireless providers so that we were able to mm. predict where their networks would have problems six months before they did and deploy a pro, you know, deploy an apparatus or, or an upgrade of that node and say, this one over here, you're planning on upgrade. You don't have to. And we would, we would then be able to do a capital deferral and, and, have money available. They didn't think they'd have money for to do the things they needed to do and make the right decisions. So even though we could do that for multiple companies, we came out of the gate and said, we're going to go get AT&T, right? Like, like we knew if we got AT&T, right. then we could get T-Mobile and Sprint. And once we had that, we could go to American Airlines, right? So is there like a mm-hmm. first thing that, 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 that your company or this organization you have planned for it to do, a first initiative? So I'll tell you what, uh, so there's Fireon, which is the public cooperative, and that's the public-facing company. Fireon Global Partners is the company that I'm funding to build it, right, to deploy it, to make it happen, and then give it into the public domain. Fireon Global Partners, what we're also doing is we are buying and selling uh, power poles, light street lights that have a maglev wind turbine on the top with solar panels and a wireless repeater, 5G or whatever. Um, and we are selling those to governments, municipalities, and we're making some good, good money doing that, right? And these are, these are the kind of poles that have uh, secured borders for countries. Um, because they're autonomous, they can p- provide 1.5 kilowatt hours to the surrounding neighborhood or grid. 
So that stuff like that infrastructure things like we can roll into there and be doing that. But in terms of how the money gets spent, like I don't have an agenda for that. I really my passion is really giving humanity a, an efficient way to organize, collect and and execute on ideas and to get the will of the people of the people of the planet organized in such a way that we have that super intelligence, the super organism. We need to create those pathways for that intellect to, to be effective and executable. So whatever people want to vote for, if they want to vote for, you know, uh, uh, like a UBI, like fine, we can figure that out. You know, if the people want to build more gardens, it's, it's really up to the people. Um, do I have personal projects that I'd like to see happen? Yeah, like in the long term, I would like to uh, buy a 60-ton carrier blimp from Aeroscraft and put uh, a search and rescue team on it and, and and film that and make it a television series and have like real life superheroes. Like I think that would be tremendous for the spirit of the people of the earth. Like that's my own personal thing, <laughs> but really it's a it's a tool for making these kinds of these kinds of decisions collectively. Do we want to build are more gardens? Are you familiar with the Illuminati trilogy? The book, The Illuminati, um, I that... just had a vision of you as a character in Illuminatus. It's the one by Robert Shea and Robert Anton Wilson. It's got, like, every conspiracy theory known to man wrapped up in it. <laughs> like, tons of, like... Oh, God, I got to watch it. There was... It's a, it's a book. It's a huge three-part book. Okay. That's what's called the trilogy. Well, there's... A, if you remember back in, like, the 80s, there was a thing called Sequest with a talking dolphin and a guy in a submarine. They they pulled it right yeah. out of there. There's a ton of, like, like small sci-fi series and stuff that were yanked right out of there. Um, but there's a guy in it that's on the submarine, and his name is Hagbird mm -hmm. Selene. And so you're like mm -hmm. Hagbird Selene with a blimp instead of a submarine. In that. <laughs> there you go. I, I can see that. Yeah. So, oh. yeah. That's my personal passion. Yeah. You know? But I, I think immediate things that we could do are like reusable cups. You know, like you, you, you bring a cup from Starbucks to the other Starbucks, and they wash it for you. And you, it's like rented cups instead of like – you know, there, there are little things that we could do that would make money and that would increase exposure and kind of give the signals in the See, world. See, a reusable like, like Starbucks cup future. makes a lot more sense to me than a paper straw, right? I mean, I, 100%. Because as soon as you're doing it in the private sector, it has to make sense. If you're doing, if you're given a mandate, that's the, one of my big problems and part of why I'm an anarchist is if you're giving a mandate from the government, there is no need for the mandate to make any sense. It doesn't have to make any sense. When we said everybody has to stay Correct. home, it didn't have to make any sense. When Meemaw Whitmer said, you, you can go to Walmart and buy groceries, but you can't walk to the other side of the store and get a garden hose while you're there. It didn't make sense, but it didn't have to. When she said, you can go to your house, but you can't go from one house yep. to your other house that you own, it didn't make any sense. But it, it, there was no requirement that it makes sense. Yep. There was zero requirement and zero accountability and nothing. People like, she'll get recalled. About it. Nothing will ever happen because of that. She will skate through that. She may be Biden's VP pick, for all we know. And, and there's no, no requirement way. that it makes sense. There's no requirement that it makes sense. As soon as you move into a private sector, no matter what, whether it's a co-op, whether it's one of these new, um, and I'm trying to think of the word the, or the an acronym for what you're really doing here. And I, it, it's escaping me. A lot of people do it with Ethereum. Would, Wouldn't you call it a, uh, uh oh, the DAO? Or a DAO, I, right? I would call it yeah, a decentralized autonomous organization, but it's not autonomous. It takes the inputs of humans. We cannot subject ourselves to an autonomous robotic organization. Like, it's just not going to work. Yeah. There has to be the human element. And so I, I call it a self-organizing collective or a SOC. Um, I know you and I, we have horrible history with anachronisms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, citizens assisting citizens. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, like, yeah, we got to work on that, I think. But in terms of, like, it's a self-organizing collective. It's like, how do we become more efficient at making decisions together and, and, and really, you know, executing on the will of the people? Getting, getting a clear signal, what is it everybody wants, with a, a voting system that can't be hacked that's based on a blockchain. Yeah. And you've got immediate signals, intelligence, what everybody's feeling, and then you can act on it. And the better degree, the degree to which you are doing that efficiently and effectively, you got harmony. You know, people yeah. are generally happy, and that's that's the job of quote unquote government. And it, it's completely ass backwards right now, and uh, we're seeing where that is. You know, you know, the the good thing about it being 1970 all over again is what happened between 1970 and like 20 2010. Like, mm -hmm. if you really go back to 1970, you should have been able to see everything that happened: smartphones, internet. It, like right. all the pieces were there, digit like Kodak was retarded. They had the original digital camera. Like nobody will want this. Like and right. destroyed their company while they had the future in their hands. And like all these pieces were there, and you could see all these pieces. And I feel like we're in that place right now. Like what you're talking about with this this self organization organizing structure um, mm -hmm. is is amazing. And then you add to it things like. Uh, SLP, Simple Ledger Protocol, and the stuff that Vin Armani's trying to get people to do with that, where yeah. let's say that I have a, um, a cafe, and you come in and buy a coffee with your reusable cup, and maybe I charge you a cleaning fee to wash your cup for you, whatever it is, but mm -hmm. instead of I buy all these things, and then I, I put them in inventory, and all, the SLP would enable you to pay three bucks for that Frappuccino, And everybody in the supply chain gets paid in micropayments now. Correct. Right? So the person that, that provided me the cream gets paid for the amount of cream you used when you bought it. And then yep. there's It's no the money. Life. And there's no yep. money. And if somebody comes and tries to shut me down, well, do you own this? No. Do you work here? Right. Kind of. Well, who employs right. you? Nobody. Because I don't pay if – you, if you work for me at my cafe and I've organized – I'm kind of an organizer. I'm kind of a curator. I, didn't really, I don't really own it, right? The, 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 right. The, 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 the building owner gets paid for the space based on how much revenue we do, and he gets paid micropayments every, every five minutes as people stand in line, right? So you come in. Yeah. Well, who's in charge? Nobody. Well, who, 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 right. who, who do you get paid by? I, I don't. I have space credits that just show up. I don't even understand how. Well, most people in the chain wouldn't even understand how it worked. Once they knew it did work. They're not most, even going to. Most people don't understand how their microwave works. But when they That's can hit the button, one in one minute goes on there and their taco gets hot, they don't give a shit how the microwave works. They just care that it works. First microwaves everybody was afraid of and five years later. And so what I'm going with this is I think like there's all these pieces. And every idea that you and I have is some form thereof. And what they're actually mm -hmm. going to become over the next 20 years is probably like, well, I'll be like, well, that's what I meant, kind of, right? Because I think if anybody would, yeah, 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 exactly. it would have done this in 1970, would have been like, well, that's, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. You know, the flip phone on Star Trek kind of looks like the one in 1994 that I had. And you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't the same, but it was the same. And like, we, yeah, like the, exactly. the amazing future that we have, if we don't destroy ourselves, And if we don't end up in a technocracy where, the, where the, it is complete control by the elites, it's pretty amazing.
Well, that's the thing, right? That's where we are. We are going to have all of these technologies. And it's the fundamental spirit of the human spirit deciding whether or not we are going to be in a complete technocracy panopticon or one that is utilized towards our will and striving. And that's the fundamental dichotomy that's happening now. And, and like people are deciding their spirits, their souls at a very fundamental level are, are either in fear or in liberation. And, you know, the more we can be on the liberation side, the more we take responsibility for ourselves, our actions, our well-being, our safety, given clear data and parsing our own signals. Like, that's where we want to be. That's where all your listeners want to be. Otherwise, they wouldn't be listening to this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, the more we can encourage that and that, that self-responsibility, that forthright uprightness, you know, that's, that's where we need to be living. And I, that's where I, I step out and communicate to people, like, and, but it's, again, more nuanced than simply like black versus white. It's like there are layers here that need to be addressed. And the only way we can do that is with an organized population who are able to communicate. And, and, and you know, I've said this last, last time we had this, I, this call, I talked about what, what is currency. It is the fundamental valuation of your life force, your calories, your passion, your time, your life force. Packaged, packaged in a, in a federal, a federal banknote, and that's what you value yourself at, and you trade it. If we are building a system like this, you can do those micropayments. That life force gets transmitted at the speed of life, like, uh, like karma moves through, you know, people if you believe in karma. So you're actually able to take the, the, these hard metals and whatever, turn them into a digital format, and, and, and send them, spend them, and move that current through the, the population of the world much quicker, and we're able to make decisions much more rapidly, much more efficiently. But it only works in a system that is not corrupt. It has to be forthright, upright, honorable, truthful, and without these hidden you know, agendas. And so we have to make it transparent. That's what the blockchain is good for. Absolutely. So how's, how's this how's – this, how's Fryon doing how like where where are you I mean I know you said some things are coming but like what would you if I if I was asking you as an investor uh, what is the health mm -hmm. of the company today what is the prospectus of the company where where are you at well I cannot say that I can guarantee twelve percent in a year's time return and I cannot say that I can guarantee twenty to thirty x in eighteen months. Um, I'm not legally allowed to say those things, so infer okay. from that what you would like. Um, I would, I, we have these really wonderful polls that we've got a couple contracts in the works with a couple nations. So we're going to be seeing, you know, uh, our, based upon our lease agreements, we're going to be seeing potentially a couple million dollars a month in terms of users and price, you know, income from that between my partners and I. Um, and the, the Firon itself, you know, I, I look to see that hitting Q4 in a, in a public way, um, hopefully in time to get the exodus from Facebook and Twitter that, that that's coming. Because I, I do see it. I see everybody getting fed up and they're like at the feeding trough, so to speak, of the social networks, you know, just slopping up the shit and being unhappy with it and wanting, wanting some, some new stuff that, that might actually be better. So um, I could see us like the per, like all of the lessons that I've gone through and all the tribulations, the humiliations, the 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 learning of humility, the learning of, of, of you know, uh, just basic respect and, and, and all of these things. I'm, I'm like, this could not have happened at a better time in terms of where we are and how we're going to going to launch out. Because I, I always said these kinds of systems will be the lifeboat for people to attach onto so that they can have some semblance of civilization and hope for the future. And like my goal is to have this system be what Elon uses on Mars and the moon. So like that's where I'm shooting for. 
So let's let's look at strategic relocation a little bit different because you, you mentioned social media there for a second. So I think if you ask the average person if they like Facebook and the people that own it, whether they're left-leaning, right-leaning, center, and no is the answer. Do you <laughs> no. trust them? No. Yeah. Do you think no. they're fair and even-handed? No. Do, no. do you think that they're not corrupt? No. And if you ask the no. same questions about Twitter, you get the same answer, no, no, and no. Exactly. And before you ask again, no. But they won't leave. So then why are you there? Why, they right. won't leave. Like, why are you living in Seattle? So how why do we create a strategic city? relocation from the big platforms? Because that's what these things are. They're not. I can make a Twitter clone in 15 minutes. I can make a yep. Facebook clone on a WordPress platform that does more than Facebook does better in 15 minutes. But I can't get yep. anybody to use it. There are social networks like MeWe that respect your privacy, see you as the customer instead of the product, and offer services Facebook doesn't. But yep. you can't, and I, I tried. I went for almost a year and I started out with doing MeWe Mondays, just one day a week. Leave Facebook for one day a week. It'll be okay. And come yep. talk to people. And I got a small little group of people doing it, but it was, it ended up being, I had to just sit back and go, this is not worth the time and effort that I'm putting into it. At this point, after this much effort has been extended. And that yep. little cadre is still over there talking to themselves, but there's no growth. There's, yep. you know, there's mods. So how do you get people to go, since you hate it? It's ironic because it's so much, I hear all the same excuses, right? Like, well, I hate it in New Jersey. What? Is there a wall around New Jersey? Right? Is the Delaware yeah, River, yeah, exactly. is there a machine gun nest at the Delaware River on the Pennsylvania border keeping you in New Jersey? Well, my family's there. Why don't you leave Facebook? All my friends are there. How do we get people in the mindset of let's stop using these platforms and use platforms that serve you instead of these technocrats? Well, I have seen one, one platform that actually would seem like a good solution for that, and that's Steam. Um, and they recently transformed, and there was a lot of, a lot of chaos in there. They were bought out, and, you know, there was, uh, what they call a hard fork there. And, and like, a good friend of mine, Luke Stokes, he's been really involved with that, that community. And it's, it has been thriving to the degree that a small niche community would thrive, right? They, they had it set up in all these correct, quote unquote, ways to, to help incentivize behavior, but they didn't get those kinds of behaviors yeah. from the mass population that they wanted. So it's really like that network effect. Where are the cool guys going? Where are the cool gals going? What is it going to be, you know, and like you see Gab and some of these other ones trying to get the president to come to their platform because they think all the patriots will come. Yeah. It's like, well, that doesn't really help because he's not no. trying to talk to all the patriots. The, all, all the patriots know him, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's trying to talk to everybody else. So you have these huge network effects where, and then you get lazy where people are just like, I mean, it's hard to pick up a new app if your company or some other company is using it and you have to figure out how to use Slack or whatever they yeah, are yeah, Discord, yeah. you know. It's, or it's like, oh, that's, that's Reddit. Uh, you know, Red, I don't like Reddit, so a Reddit clone I like even less. Like, it's, it doesn't do right. enough stuff. And, and I mean, I even tried getting through to the guy that owns MeWe, and I, I just really couldn't get any traction there. And I was like, if you would put in something like Steam, but make it easy, because when I, and I don't know, maybe it's easier now. When I tried to set up Steam, I could set up the Steam account, but setting up the wallet and to be able to receive, it was a freaking nightmare. And it was just, I'm yeah. like, if I, if I am frustrated with this, and I'm fairly technically savvy, then yeah. I can only imagine trying to get, you know, 20,000 yeah, of my right. followers to come over there and follow me on Steam just so they can give me some Steam. I'd be better off just right. saying, hey, you know what? Why don't you guys like me this week and what I do this week? Send me an extra five bucks in Bitcoin. Way easier. Yeah. But I was Way like, easier. if you could just buy some crypto of whatever flavor, the MeWe coin or use Bitcoin, or use whatever, Bitcoin Cash, 
use Spot. I don't give a shit what you use, but it's just really simple. You buy it, you have an account that's in it, and I like what you did, so I give you a dime. Like, if you just did that, that, that might actually get people using a platform. And it doesn't seem that hard to me, and I don't know why nobody's done it. And I wouldn't even build a new platform. Just, you've got a platform, yeah. just put this in there. Yep, yep. But I, I, and I agree that these, these are real hurdles, right? Um, you have the inactivity and the inertia that people have already going every day trained to go on their Facebook profile or Instagram yeah. or Twitter. You know, it's like, it's literally habitual now. And they have done a really great job of turning everybody into lab rats coming for their little dopamine fix. I mean, even me, like I've, I've spent an inordinate amount of time on fucking Facebook during this, this crisis, quote unquote, than I normally would. And it, I'm like, it's upsetting. It makes me feel bad. Like I don't enjoy it. It's not constructive. I'm trying, me being the person that I am, I'm trying to be constructive, organize people. Let's group, get to this group chat and start tweeting these things. Let's, let's get a tweet storm going. Let's call the White House, you know, but like, that's not your average user. They're consuming, right? They want to find out what's happening or whatever fits their personal paradigm. Now to, it, it has to be real world. And I gave the, I gave our marketing strategy already earlier and I, and, and I think that that's going to be successful. We're going to do real world events and make it really like hands on palpable. This is how effective this shit could be. And mm. each event we'll do a vote together and we'll, we'll see the results right there and then, you know, and then we're, we're going to make a clothing line that, you, you know, if you're part of this new movement that makes the world a better and brighter place that we're striving and we're not going to be perfect, but you know, like let's make it fucking space force friendly, you know, like look like, look like the future. Let's do this together. Like then we go to farms, right? And we like what we're going to do in our property up here and, and we're going to take it and we're already pretty producing hemp. So we've, we've got a mercantile business that the, that the location is good for. We'll bring people in, have them working, pay them in the units, vote together, you know, and create yeah. other little, it's like build a permaculture village and start sharing that and, and create more hubs, you know, empower people. They can watch a certain amount of videos, take, you know, like, Oh, and here's the other bit. You can bring the entire survival podcast on there. And if people watch it, they will gain in merit because they will be more valuable to the system because they're thinking for themselves. They're preparing themselves and their families for whatever might come for, you know, if life is hard or not, you know. So like these kinds of things, we can get content providers built in, incentivize you to be there. Like you might not get paid you, what you would for uh, a full on uh, membership, but you, you, you're, you're putting out the, the content for free anyway. Let's yeah. give you some extra, some extra micro payments for every time somebody watches a video and increases their value to this. See, I wonder if the so, solution is some slight like cross-platform platform. I know that sounds like double speak, but sometimes double speak is accurate speak. So it, what I'm thinking is the death of AOL. So I remember when everybody had dial-up internet and DSL just started, right? GS, DSL had just started coming out, and I was working in that sector. I, I was selling to companies like Santerra and Alcatel and uh, Nortel yeah. and stuff like that. And so I saw all these rollouts starting to happen, and my family and friends started getting DSL. And I'm the tech guy, right? I'm like, I'm like right. you know how it is? It's like if you're a nurse, you become like the doctor for your family. Like I don't know. Right. I don't have yeah, any experience with right. rare foreign cancers or something, but they still call you, right? So like I became a guy, if you have a problem with your computer, you call Jack. So I'd get a phone call mm -hmm. from like my brother-in-law, like, well, we just got DSL installed. Is it working? Well, I think so. Well, can you get on the internet? Well, yeah, but I can't figure out how to get to my AOL. Because they were used oh, to the right. computer just coming on and go, you've got mail. And then you, your mail was there yeah, and yeah. you were in that, that, that horrible interface. But you were in your AOL. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all you have to do is go to AOL.com and log in. Well, how do I get to my AOL? Mm -hmm. And like once they figured out, hey, this goes faster, 
and I can check my AOL yeah. e email, and I can use my instant messenger and all that stuff. Everybody started doing it, and everybody started to stop freaking out about the fact that they couldn't get to their AOL. But what happened to AOL within a couple of years? It died. It's it's it, it, it it's a place right. that publishes terrible tabloid level news now, like Yahoo is, right? I mean, that's that that's what it's mm-hmm. become. Well, it became that because people had a way to not stop using it while they were stopping using it. So <laughs> it may be like some kind of an app that amalgamates your well, social no, it's media. That. It's yeah, it's 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 the fundamental unit. It's the it's the armband uh, pit boy like that Fallout players use. You know, okay. it's like you have to have a new, a new device that is the immediate interface with with the economy. Okay, right? and and not only that, but it gives you weather data and it gives you grow data in your specific bioregion. So you're out in the field and you're like, oh, what's the weather going to be like? And you you check your phone, right? That's yeah. what I've been doing. Yeah, and like like oh, I got I've got this window to go plant right now. Yeah, um, so. It's it's like that, and and once you create security in the dongle form, meaning like um, you actually have a key or like a, a bracelet or a necklace or something mm. that you have to have in close proximity to that device, mm. that's you. That's your authentication, your bio authentication. Well, I love that. That's your personal security. The system is secure on a number of different blockchains, and so what you're what you're talking about is like a uh, platform agnostic, like. People will begin by logging into Firon and then see the world there, and they own it. They can if things are not going the way that they like, they're voting and they're getting their organization of people together and saying, "Yo, this has got to fix." And you're going to have your population of people who are just like, "I'm just along for the ride," you know. And you have to make sure that that's comfortable enough for them that that, that they're getting their needs met. But um, I mean, it's yeah, kind of like the original of work the, in the-, the original promise of RSS. Where you could build a page for yourself that had all your podcasts your come in, all, yep. you could, all your news come in, all your weather come in. You had this, your own aggregator. Well, then all of these like smart apps that really you should call them dumb apps because they let dummies use them came along, and the incentive to learn how to make that work went away. So you almost have to recreate that in a way that is familiar to how people use things now, where I can have everything the way I want it, but. Now I'm gonna like now I'm not gonna be afraid to be exposed to these other platforms and these other communication tools because I'm not ha- I don't ha- it's like methadone, like you don't have to give up mm-hmm. your drugs all cold turkey. Here's some methadone, get off the meth, mm-hmm. you know, and and chill out, and then let's get your life back together. Because I feel like we have the, the largest mass addiction to social media of any addiction the country's ever had. People are addicted to it. People ask me, well, then why are you on there? I'm like, because all of you people are. Because my yep. my customers are there. If my customers were somewhere yep. else, I promise you, I would go there instead. I've tried to drag mm-hmm. you with me. So I, I like what you're yep. where you're going there, and it seems like that's it has to be dead simple. It can't require technical knowledge. It can, but it will never take off until it doesn't. So a lot of the stuff that we did back in the '80s when I was a kid with Commodore computers and shit required a lot of knowledge to be able to get it to work. But it was the people like that that did that eventually became the generation that created it in a in a rolled up way where other people could do it without having to know anything. So That's it's right. how you it's how you build prototype. It's like prototyping. It's exactly like prototyping. You have to know all kinds of shit to make a prototype. But once you have the prototype in the age of three D printing, you download these files and hit print. Yep. 
Yep. And, and advancement in technological capabilities and just our, what we think about, right? Because our boundaries have increased, right? We're now in space. We have quantum computing, like potentially the time barriers is being, you know, messed with. And we, 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 we might be transcending that soon. Who knows? Like it's going to be a very strange world in the next hundred years. And unless our, our understanding and consciousness and ability to, uh, to take that information in, assimilate it properly and, and deal with it, it's like, it, it's going to be overwhelming. And if people stay in these in these rudimentary dichotomies, they, they won't be able to take part in that in a full and complete way that's going to be meaningful for them. So this initial thing that you're doing that lets people get involved, um, you know, it sounds some way similar to what they used to call ICOs and then FCC got involved in all of that. And all. I mean, what exactly is it? How yep. can people find out more about it and be part of it? Uh, you can go to Firon Global Partners, and Firon is spelled P-H-I-R-E-O-N. And you can break it down into two words, fire, P-H-I-R-E, on, like that internal fire, put it on. And not only just have it be on, but have it be geometrically on, let's say, in, with the phi golden ratio that is in all life, right? Invoke that in yourself and, and get active. Um, so it's Firon Global Partners is uh, the, the company that we're building from. And Firon.com is the place where you can go and put your email in and find out when we're launching and, and how we're doing that. And at the Fire on Global Partners uh, site, there's a little button that says investors. Um, just email me if you're if you're really interested, and I'll, I'll give you the password, and we'll, we'll talk personally. Awesome, man. And uh, you have a website, too, where people can learn more about you? <laughs> I do. So uh, in my prior life, and really, like, I make music, a lot of music with my kids and my friends. And um, so I have a very artistic side. Like, I paint. Um, I write and I've got a, a website called ithunderbird.com, which is like my own personal creative site. Although th th this is interesting. I used to have a mohawk, a very long mohawk. And um, when you start dealing in finance and other, you know, other other worlds like that, like people like to see a, a conservative, uh, short haired individual who's well put together. And so I've, I've cut my hair recently, which is a big deal for me. But uh, I used to have long hair and you'll see that still on ithunderbird. <laughs> Cool, man. And, and even though we've been pretty good at bashing Twitter and Facebook, you have a Twitter, a Facebook, and an Instagram. Uh, I'll make sure links to all of that stuff, including your website, Firon, et cetera, are all in the show notes today. And uh, I thank you for being with us today for a while, man. Hey, I appreciate it, Jack. It's really great to be back. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm still open and available if you have, like, cryptocurrency questions or if the, 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 the crew does, you know, yeah. however you want to play that. It's all good by me. Well, we maybe we can set something up with that because the, the person that was doing that's not here anymore because his company went broke and he, he ran away and hid, and I don't blame him. Uh, a lot but, of them have done that. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. The, there were a lot of those. So, I mean, so this is not a, an ICO, by the way. This is like we are not. What did you call it? You called it something else. Well, yeah, this is it's it. an SPV. It's a yeah, it's a special purpose vehicle where people can come together and do business together, um, invest together, and it's it's all structurally legally you know, sound, federally sound and all of that. Um, and in, in having, uh, having the opportunity to do this, and like back in 2014, we didn't launch because the regulatory environment was very uncertain. And I wanted to make sure I was doing everything right, yeah. you know, and, and that, that timidity, you know, I was timid in, the, in a sense, and I missed a, a big window. We could have raised like 80 million, you know, whatever, because we, we had a large following at that time. Like 10,000 people were stoked about this project, and, you know, we would have done really well. And I've, I have wanted to do the right thing, and so I've been very cautious in my approach until we really nailed it down. And, you know, figuring out Fire on itself and how to do that, 
you know, setting up a cooperative structure and, and not having a securities offering and all of these other things. It was like, uh, we, again, we just wanted to dot the I's and cross the T's properly and that we missed those windows. Um, but, you know, when you do something right, it pays off in the end. Yeah, and sometimes not doing things when you think you should have done them pays off too. I mean, I remember really when I does. got really excited about one of my initiatives and it was the, it was first Permaculture Voices and the guy from the FTC came up to me and said, look, I love you, I like what you're doing, I wish you could do it that way, but if you do it that way, they're going to put you in federal prison. And it amazed me why, why I, I can't, well, because of the way I was going to do fundraising. And, oh, gotcha. uh, because it was public solicitation of funds, even though I thought I had my ass covered. He's like, you do not. And uh, yeah. I had people like, you should do it anyway. I'm like, well, you're not the one going to Club Fed to get his donut hole pounded. So it's easy for you to say that. Like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not doing that. I, no, I'm not, exactly. you know, I'm not going to. So there's times that you have to be strategic about what you do and how you do it and when you do it. So anyway, man, yeah. again, I, I really appreciate you for being with us today. Thanks, Jack. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Good conversation as always with Xavier. Hope you guys enjoyed that one and hope you realize that there are immense numbers of solutions. We're going to be really driving solutions home in the coming weeks. I'm also going to be going on vacation at the end of the month and there'll be a couple weeks of rewinds. I'm taking a long one this time. I freaking need it, man. I am going to go spend two weeks, two full freaking weeks on the beach with my wife and I will apologize to no one for it. But I'm not just going to leave you typical rewinds. I'm starting right now on a Steps to Personal Freedom segment. And every rewind will have about a 10-minute segment of new content with a single step that you can take toward designing and developing personal freedom in your lifetime. So as we reach toward the end of this month and go through the 4th of July, be ready to get ramped up on personal, individual solutions. Because the things that we talked about with Xavier today, some of them were personal and individual, but a lot of them were more toward what you can do in larger groups with his company, for instance. But you know what you need to make a big change through a lot of people? A lot of people in charge of their own lives. So we're going to be focusing on that during that uh, upcoming and soon-to-be series that will be part of a Rewind series. That, that way, even though the Rewinds, there will be some dramatically new content in it for you that really applies to the stuff we're dealing with today. With that, let me remind you, if you like the show and the work that we do, you can do a lot of things to help support us. One is become a member, and you got, well, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, the day the show came out, you got three days, counting what's left of today, to get a membership for half price, $25. Go to the survivalpodcast.com. Click on Members, sign up there, and use discount code 25BUCKS when you sign up. That's 25BUCKS when you sign up on Saturday morning. It will go back to 50 bucks. And as long as I ran this sale, it's going to be a long damn time before it goes on sale again. This is a membership that pays for itself. I promise you, if you use the discounts, it will pay for itself. In fact, it will probably make you money. In fact, if you don't get this while it's on sale for 25 bucks. Whether you like me or not, you hate money. I, I will say it. You hate money if you don't get my membership because it will put money in your pocket. Therefore, you must not want money. Anyway, that's the best I can do on that. The other way you can help support us, and it doesn't cost you any money because you're going to go shop online anyway. Next time, you're going to buy something online. Go to tspaz.com first and start your shopping there. That's the only thing you got to do. Help support us. You'll see also all the items I recommend. I have the stainless steel insulated French press mug by Securia as my item of the day today. And uh, this is one I bring around quite a bit because it's so damn good. 
It is a double-walled insulated French press, so mostly it's for making coffees and tea. There's some other things you can do at French presses, but that's what I use mine for multiple times every day. I have a really good glass one that I recommended for a long time by Bravel, and um, when we went on vacation a couple years ago, Dorothy's like, let's take the French press, and I'm like, the glass one will get broke. I found this one, and it's become my new favorite. The Bravel one, it's still there. It works. It's a nice press, but it doesn't get used much. It's on sale today for about 20 bucks off. And French press coffee is better coffee than any other coffee that I've ever drank that you can make at home anyway. Uh, really. I mean, it is simple. It's effective. It works. And you can also make your teas, do infusions for your brewing, inventing, and mead making. Fantastic. And it's on sale. So I brought it back around. The other thing, though. They have a, this is a, like a 34 ounce uh, press is the one that I have, and it's the middle size one. It's the one I generally recommend for most people. Dorothy and I drink coffee out of really big cups. And what ends up happening is we end up with like a quarter to a third of a cup left after we both have a cup out of the 34 ounce cup. Yeah, we drink a lot of coffee. Now, a lot of that space is coffee in there. It doesn't make 34 ounces of actual liquid coffee by the end of the process. Um, but what you end up with is that, that third cup just ain't very nice kind of sat there, it's a little bit concentrated, and you don't get a full cup out of it. So a lot of times we end up discarding it. If we don't think to pour it off and kind of make an amalgamation of it over time and use it for iced coffee or something. Um, with the bigger 50-ounce size, we'd get a full third cup. So I'm thinking about picking one of those up today because they're on sale as well. So that might be why you might want the bigger unit. Again, it makes 50 ounces in a single run. Check it out. But remember, whether you want that or not, maybe you already have it. Um, Everything that I recommend at tspaz.com I own, I use, and I bought it with my own money, or I wouldn't recommend it. But even if you buy something totally different, as long as you start there, you help us. That brings us to our song of the day today. Song of the day today is Ships That Don't Come In by Joe Diffie. And I chose this song myself. I, I kind of went off of John Adams' script. I didn't really care for the song he picked for today. It was a little bit too thrashy for me, especially on a day like today where I just didn't have it in me to listen to it. And if I don't want to listen to something, you're probably not going to hear it. Um, I was just like, I'm not in that mood. And I, I just listened to this song last night by Joe Diffie uh, while I was playing playing pool with my grandson in the garage. And I was thinking about it, and I was realizing that this song is probably largely misunderstood. Because this song really talks about people that never really got a chance. People that were maybe cut down in the prime of their life, and they never got the chance, and, and how... You can feel at the end of your life that maybe you didn't get everything you want, but at least you had the chance. The real message of this song, though, is not the defeatism of the poor, you know, the soldiers who died in vain, is one of the lines in the song. It's don't be the person that wastes the opportunity that you have. Instead of worrying about why you can't do something, figure out what you can do. Instead of worrying that if you do achieve something, somebody might take it from you, go achieve it and defend it. We can look back at all of those who had ships that didn't come in. But if you don't want to be among them, build, captain, and sail your own damn ship. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. I could tell he'd had a tough life By the way he said and stared And me, I'd come to push and shove so I pulled up the chair We talked of roads untraveled We talked of love untrue 
Of strings that come unraveled We were kings and kindred fools And just when I'd hit bottom That old man raised his glass And said at least we've had our chances There's those who never have So here's to all the soldiers Who have ever died in vain The insane locked up in themselves The homeless down on Maine Stand on empty shores and spit against the wind And those who wait forever for ships that don't come in He said it's only life's illusions that bring us to this bar to pick up these old crutches And compare each other's scars Cause the things we're calling heartaches Hell, they're hardly worth our time We bitch about a dollar When there's those without a dime And as he ordered one last round, he said I guess we can't complain God made life a gamble And we're still in the game So here's to all the soldiers Who have ever died in vain The insane locked up in themselves The homeless down on Maine Don't come in And those who wait forever For ships that don't come in